And you stand there like, mm-hmm, okay. And then they whip a wiffle ball at your chest and it goes, duke, punk, and it falls on the ground. Hello? Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing quite well here. <sighs> have, I, have I affected you? It seems like you've adopted an accent sometimes. <laughs> I don't know. It's something you have affected me. Yeah, you want to hear how, I, how I've answered the phone for 25 years? <laughs> yeah. Hello? <laughs> Is that real? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, don't know why, I don't know why. It's just, it's the library elf inside me. Scratching to get out. Hello? <laughs> Hello? <laughs> Woo! I was working <sighs> on, that, on that Ricky Roma uh, thing. And I Which think thing? I, I don't know what you're talking about. What are you talking about? The thing is, is, is this is oh, this something? Oh. I don't know. And I think I've, I think I've got it, but it needs that. There, the audio is not the best on that one. So I'm, I'm working on that. And, uh, but I think you'll, I think I want it to be perfect. You know, that one's, um, that one's tough because unlike stuff from like the Aviator, where one sentence tells the story, the part of the beauty of that inscrutable speech is is how long and nonsensical it is the whole thing but you know he's working on his you know his sales <laughs> but i got a little bit of it so i'm gonna i'm, I'm copying that over now you know before pre- we, before we start the show mm-hmm. you'll tell me when we're live right yeah i'll let you know i mean we'll edit okay, all good. this yeah. i've got uh some bumps on my groin what I, hello I hello is this uh, just small bumps. Okay. You know, red, a red pattern it says help me. <laughs> really? Mm-hmm. Also, I peed at my mom's dinner party. Um, made my chest of drawers fly across the room. Mm. <laughs> These are interesting facts, factoids. Oh, oh yeah. Well, there's the whole thing. You know, living in D.C., my mom's an actress. It's um, <laughs> Father Damien. Yeah. Now, have you gone back to The Exorcist in, in recent years? No. Because I have, I have always held that, at least as an adult, mm-hmm. watching grown-ass man movies, it's, I, I've held for a long time, it's, it's still the scariest movie I've ever seen. Does it, you're saying that this, thing hold, that this movie holds up? Well, I'm not sure. I mean, it's, it was so... I mean, there's so many things about the Exorcist. The book, the book is great. The movie's great. Um, but you know, when you watch the movie, it. I think part of what I don't know. It's it, part of what made it so over the top. This is, this is not the show, but part of what made it so you know uh, has made made it have such an impact was there were so many things about it that were really startling and jarring. There's for its time or it's still. Well, I think. Uh, for, for its time and and still over okay. time. I mean, it's part of a, a, a great tradition of horror, the horror genre that's not about like booga booga. Yeah. It's about really quiet, lots mm. of quiet scenes, and even just the sound of like Carl trying to find a rat in the uh, in the attic is is terrifying because you know you know some bad stuff is going to go down in this movie, you know. And then there's the whole like a la Rosemary's Baby. There's the whole like mother and kid thing. You got the the puberty going on. And there's just so much stuff in that movie, yes, involving body fluids, that was so <laughs> jarring. And that the woman who did uh, uh, Regan's voice was so great. Mm. And I don't know. But, you know, I did watch it, I don't know, maybe a couple years ago. And it was the first time I watched it that I wasn't 
just completely blown away by how scary it was. It's still scary, but it does feel a little more campy now. Is it because of the like the effects are are campier or just the whole sort of package of the movie itself, the setup? And, and because it's something I've noticed whenever I'll talk to a, a friend about a movie and I'll think, oh, I want to go back and watch that. I find that any movie that came out prior to the mid 90s, the first two thirds of the movie is the setup for the last third of the movie, which is where all the good stuff actually happens. There's just lots of talking, so lots read, of... Read that, read that back to me. So uh, unlike <laughs> movies today, all the good stuff is at the end. Yeah, it's not just, it's not just that movies today are they all good. They never have a third act. They got no third act. Well, movies they have today, no third act. That's a great point. Oh, You're don't right. get me started. It, I don't know. It's, it's almost like a TV show where they had a really great idea for the concept, pretty great idea for the first arc of five or eight episodes. Right. And then they're like, hmm. Not sure is this thing a magnet or when you go into the sewer place and listen to mamas and the papas is it magnets why is that man with a beard here what is it you know i don't know we continue though because I, I i i do have a thought on that well it seems like like especially if there's any movie that i thought oh this is a good movie maybe even i want to show my kid or just a movie that we might be talking about here in the studio or in the office and i'm like oh i want to go watch that again that the first half or two-thirds of the movie is just people in a room talking to each other to right. set up the, the good stuff that will happen in the third act. Yeah. Well, you know, there's one really cynical way to look at this. And I, I hate to say this, except I think it's kind of true, is that because of people like, oh, now the guy's name's going to escape me. But there is a certain way of writing a script with beats today. Uh. There's a certain way of writing a script where certain things happen by a certain page of the script and the hero's journey begins. And there's, there's a certain way of writing scripts today that is, you can almost like imagine like a transparency, you know, from like science class, you could almost put a clear piece of plastic over every movie and see like the three acts and what builds up in the first 25 minutes. And it's, it, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to beat it to death, but I mean, once it's one of those things where once you start knowing the kind of increasingly standard Hollywood script formula, um, you kind of can't stop seeing it. Yeah. And, you know, but to your point though, well, first of all, one thing, and this is, I'm just pulling this out of my butt, but like, it feels to me like so many movies from about 1976 or seven through about 1995 like mm-hmm. all look really, really old. Yeah. So everyone's teeth is yellow and crooked and Yeah, yeah. But also just everything about <laughs> you're right. The pacing the pacing a lot of times is a lot more luxurious. But also just it looks they look like we watched Ghostbusters a oh, couple couple three weeks ago. That's what a great is, example. And it looks it so beyond eighties looking. It's ridiculously eighties looking. I'm like, um, what's your head? Sigourney Weaver's apartment. I mean, oh, it's yeah. a set. She lives in a set. Yeah, she lives in a set. Everything is a set. Every yeah. single thing in every movie of that time period is a set. Even and really good movies like 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 Tootsie or or like uh, Stripes. <laughs> really good movies else, like any Tootsie. Other, any other Bill Murray movies, like they, they look so stagey. But on the other hand, again, now go back to something like what? One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, uh, Rosemary's Baby. Mash, and even though they are very much based in a certain time, yeah, like Rosemary's Baby looks amazing. Yeah, it looks it's from 1968, and it looks so good. And something so happened, Merlin, in this. I think the mid 70s to the late 80s, where things were 
everything, the word I, that comes to mind, probably not the right word. It's almost things are just sort of very contrived. The sets, uh, the sets, the setups, the dialogue. Very I, bet, I bet there's, you know, this is, boy, you talk about an overarching generalization, but I think there's a whole bunch of things you could kind of point to. The, the lazy one that anybody's going to want to make is post-1975 is the beginning of the blockbuster era. It's, hmm. I think a lot of people peg Steven Spielberg's Jaws from the summer of 75 as being the beginning of Hollywood going, whoa, you know, we've always wanted a big picture, but we never realized we could have a, this big picture mm-hmm. and it can turn a franchise and you can get action figures. I guess that's always kind of been there, but I think that continues to have a huge impact, more, maybe more than ever today, where there's movies I've never even heard of like that are just in like the, the top end. Like there's like, like two or three Transformers movies, like in the top 20 best grossing movies of all time. Like yeah. Avengers is like, I think the third highest grossing movie of all time or second highest or something like that. Like Frozen is like the highest grossing maybe animated film of all time. Like, that's all just happened. And that's because a lot of those resources get poured into, I mean, it's, it's not unusual in some cases, especially for crappy movies, to have a budget of N for production and a budget of two times N for marketing. It's extremely costly to make a movie, so they put all their eggs in this big blockbuster basket. And there's know, very much, there's a recipe, and a movie has to deliver on these certain things. And it's 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 almost the way I think of it is like, a, you know, like a... Uh, a, uh, an apple pie. You know, it's supposed to have a, a crust. It's supposed to have a filling. It's supposed to have a top. And it's supposed to be served warm with a scoop of ice cream. And if you if you serve up these certain elements together, that is the recipe for a correct, you know, apple pie a la mode. That if you, that's what people are expecting. So when they go to a movie, especially a summer one, especially one that might have, you know, that teenager in mind, you you will receive these things in this order. The maple syrup has to be on the table before the pancakes. You'll get that, and you will be you will be happy because you have been given these things. And this is the recipe for a movie to be successful. And if you step too far outside of this recipe, you know, then you'll you'll wind up with something that might be a hit or might be a miss. And studios just don't want to take that risk. Right. Yeah. This kind of goes back to what. Um John Syracuse said about Pixar a long time ago on, on uh, hypercritical. That's kind of related. But, you know, the, the idea that, you know, are they really stretching out far enough? Are, are, are they trying enough? Are they willing to fail to do something really, really great? Mm. Because what you can say about Pixar is that they haven't made any stinkers. But, you know, the, if you get to a point, and nobody's saying this is what's happening right now per se. But if you, <laughs> if, if you only are fixated on never having a failure, you may also never make something like truly great because there's got to be, I mean, think about all of your favorite directors. I mean, most of us can think of people like Stanley Kubrick. We could think of people like Harold Ramis. We could think of anybody like, you know, directors and writers that we like. So, oh God, you know, um, Charlie Kaufman, you know, Charlie Kaufman, uh, who's, you know, been so lauded for some things and so pilloried for other oh, things. Yeah. Look at um, look at the uh, what's his head, the uh, Pacific Rim guy, who did uh, Pan's Labyrinth. What's oh, his name? Right, right. Uh, I know, I know who you mean. It's not Benicio for, del Toro. No, I he's, he's a guy with a very fancy name like that. Alexander Yodorovsky. Who am I thinking of? You know who I mean. Yeah, I'm gonna what's have to name? look it up. Hold on. Yeah, but you know, uh, it's interesting to, to go back and watch a movie from that. What we Guillermo now think del of Toro. Ah, uh, muy bueno. Deseo bistec con ensalada y sopa. Y de postre fruta. 
corta el pelo detrás. Wasn't that the one with the fingers? He had fingers on his uh, eyes on his fingers or something? Yeah, yeah, he had uh, eye hands. Oh, man, that that girl was great. That was a great movie. Um, And you know what? I like Pacific Rim. That's a divisive movie, but I thought it was really good. Why would he hold hold his hands up to his face if he had an eye on on his in his palm like that i think because the guy likes comic books and he knows that that's a really amazing and very arresting image to have him make that oh that's creepy isn't it It makes you want to have a bad dream about it right now yeah but like i mean if if i had an eyeball in the middle of my palm i wouldn't necessarily want to hold it up to my head like i could just point it at someone you know well especially if you were playing poker or something you want to go like uh uh i'm a guy in a basement who doesn't have eyes <laughs> right and then you'd be like real cool about it. you'd act like you're what was the point for, of that guy in that? you're reaching for the beer nuts and you just lift your hand a little bit and you say oh here let me get that thing off your back and then you could look at the guy's cards and see that he has a flush or l flush as they call it um uh, I, huh what was the, what was the question i'm just saying what what was the point of that guy like what was he all about that guy with the hands Oh, uh, I haven't watched it. In what a while. was he doing in there? Yeah, what was he doing in there? Like, what, why did why didn't he go somewhere else? Why didn't he get a condo? Yeah, well, I, like, what was the point of him in the movie? What was he? He was, uh, you know, a uh, a fantastical creature. Okay. Uh, you know, then you got that. Yeah, this is not the show. You got that golden age, you know, where we think of all the auteurs coming out, all the you know the film school brats. You know, the you got your your Lucases and your Spielbergs and your Coppolas and everybody coming out and i don't know people would take take uh take their own path with movies very uh influenced by by new wave and stuff that was making them try different stuff but you know what's funny is where you notice this is with kids movies because mm. the pacing in kids movies i mean something like despicable me i i, I really like that movie I love and that it's movie. it's like a swiss clock i mean it really is it, it really moves the pacing is very fast and most of it makes mostly sense but like <laughs> You take a movie that is considered one of the, I'm not saying anything against this movie, but you take a movie that is considered one of the greatest kids and family movies of all time. Take Disney's Mary Poppins. Okay. And I swear to Christ, that movie feels about nine hours long. That's what I'm, that's exactly what I'm talking about. There's a lot of walking around. There's a lot of talking. A lot of talking. You sing a little bit. You write a letter. (laughs) You're writing letters in a movie. Yeah. A lot of scenes are just kids walking around from place to place with nothing really happening in between. I'd like to see what Ryan Gosling could do with that today. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. You know. <laughs> oh, man. You know how I don't like talking about podcasts on podcasts, right? Yeah, I do know that. I feel like, and, and I, I have this, oh, God, I, can't, I don't even want to say this because it's so obvious and so boring and so shameful, but I have to say it. I am completely obsessed with something right now. And it's, it's really dopey because the people on The Incomparable have been talking about this for 11 years. Have you ever listened to The Flophouse? I have not heard that, no. Oh, my God. I have been listening to, contrary to John Syracuse's suggestions, I did not start at the beginning. He, he, has, he has lots of letters he's written into the show that they read. Uh, he, and, and now I get it. I get it. I get the Flophouse thing. Oh, my God. It's, it's, uh, it's the kind of podcast I'd like to make. I mean, it's really, really funny. It's three guys who are writers. I think a couple of them write for The Daily Show, and every couple of weeks they review a bad movie. And it's got a lot of what I love in a podcast. It's got like repeating bits, but you know, I have such a man crush on this guy, uh, Elliot on there. Who's kind of like, like the me guy. He's like the adenoidal fast talking guy, except he's like 11 jillion times funnier, but listening to five 
episodes of this a day. Sorry, John. Uh, for the last week, you know, I, I these guys are really like like us, but more so, really steeped in movies and mm. like ho- not Hollywood culture, but like they they know the bits, they know the routines, they know the tropes and all that kind of stuff. And listening to all of those in the past, you really it really starts to bubble up how much how sort of formulaic stuff is. You ever look at that site, the TV tropes site? Oh yeah, that one I have seen. I uh, that's that's I got to be careful with that one because I will disappear down a wormhole. Oh, you just up. dive into that, and it's a .org, which means it's you know it, it, it it's all true and it's not a nonprofit, but it's a not for profit. I yeah, think. Yep. I think it's run, run by Butrus Butrus Gali. <laughs> the uh, but the thing is with those, like I'll go in and go, oh, you know, I should go clarify the meaning of what the Mary Jane in a comic is, and then I'll find myself like just reading and reading and reading. But you know, uh, I, I, this is this is how I am, Dan. I'm 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 an, I'm an open book. I, I want to apologize to the world that I never discovered the Flop House, Flop House till last week. I'm going to say this is one of the greatest podcasts I've ever heard. It is it does the most unlikely thing of having three white guys talk about something and it's funny, and uh, and I, I John John Syracuse has started at the beginning, um, but I think you can jump in most places. Sorry, John, uh, and uh, I feel silly now. I feel silly because it's one of those things. It's like it's been in plain sight the whole time. See, I feel embarrassed talking about this. Yeah. It's a very popular show. <sighs> I should get, find new podcasts. I really should. You want to get started? Yeah, let's All go right, ahead. Let me put it in a <clears throat> marker and we'll. <clears throat> okay, okay, you ready? Yeah. Hey, how's it going, Dan? Hey, man, what's going on? Ooh, good week. Big week here. Oh, God, huge. this has been a huge week. Nicholas Cage. Now I'm going to steal their <laughs> jokes, too. Okay, so um, uh, so what's going on? Did you, uh, hey, hey, um, quick question. Did you get a chance to do any editing on that Ricky Roma thing we think I is did. so funny? I did, the one from the other week. I would like, for, I would like to play that uh, for you now. It's just a short clip, very, very, very short. I don't want to get your hopes up, but I'm going to, may I play that now? Yes. All right. Very, very short. Just one line. It may mean something to you. It may not. I don't know. I don't know anymore. There. That's it. <laughs> he's uh, he's such an interesting guy because he's he's so yes it, yes. It's so hard to it's so hard to know like what uh, <laughs> Alan Arkin also featured in that boxer movie with uh, Robert De Niro and Sylvester Stallone as covered on the Flophouse. I'm done talking about it now. Um, but, uh, but, uh, but Ricky's, uh, he's so intense. And, and I keep saying this, but like everything he says, it sounds like it makes sense. But when you really put it all together, it, it's very uh, content resistant. If you were to, to, for example, transcribe it, if you were to transcribe Blake's monologue, you would have a, a a very well written monologue that would make sense that that you could you could print out you could read this and you could say oh I get what he's saying if you were to transcribe what Ricky says none of it makes sense none of it makes any sense he's sort of you know he it's almost like hypnosis the way that he's working with Link. And that it's sort of like he nothing he says means anything. Like he's bobbing and weaving and changing what he's talking about. He's like he's like bad drunk boyfriend. Yeah. Like 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 someone like the uh, the girlfriend is coming and wanting redress on some kind of an ongoing issue, and he's like, "Did you know? Did you know this about me when we met? I don't know. Is that important? I couldn't say. Are <laughs> there thirty days in every month? Most. February is a black swan. Have I met, met a black swan? To you. <laughs> it but may this, not. Does it mean something? I don't know. I don't know yeah. anymore. I don't. And it's like, he's, I don't know anymore. You yeah. know, he's, he's the, he doesn't even know what he's saying. He's exasperated, Dan. <laughs> did you get the, uh, the email I sent to you this morning about the, the yeah, I did. I don't I know did. about that. I don't know. I could talk anymore. about that. I don't know anymore. 
So be it. So be uh, it. does he actually say so be it, or am I imagining that? That's when he's announcing all the things about uh, you know whatever your proclivities are, yeah, and the hell on earth and whatnot, yeah, yeah. We could talk about that. Um, There's an idea. It's your show. Yeah, no, whatever no, you want to do. Yeah, yeah, I got. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> I read I read a bunch of the uh, posts on that guy's uh, site. He's kind of like uh, like a hopeful Khalil Gibran version of me. <laughs> oh, a hopeful who? Mm-hmm. Khalil Gibran. Or uh, maybe like a muzzle top. Maybe like a uh, maybe like a, a, a Jonathan Livingston Seagull or a uh, Zig Ziglar. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> or a uh, turns out McGee. Hmm. Um. So I had I had two things I want to plug. Uh, I can do quickly. Uh, two things our friends have put out this week that I wanted to make sure and mention. Oh, cool. uh, one of them is uh, your friend uh, David Sparks, uh, D Sparks over there from the Max Sparky. Actually, you know what? He is a. This is a show is sponsored by that. I could do. I could. I could do oh, that no, right now. Soccer, Dan. This is why I should. I should get memos about these things. No. Well, Forget it's that guy. it's a it's a friendly sponsorship, and that <laughs> uh, I can do right now. Which is that, why don't you do it? You just talk about it. Paid you in compliments. Is that what it means? Yeah. No, you do it. You do you, it. You do it. It's a fifth installment of David Sparks Field Guide series, maxsparky.com slash field guides. This is one is all about presentations. It just launched uh, yesterday, which is Monday, July 21st, 2014. And basically, you know what? If you've ever wanted to get up on stage and, and, uh, and be Merlin Man, it's, you just get this book. Go check it out, maxsparky.com. Did I just lose you for like three no, minutes? No, I was just dramatic pausing. Oh, my oh, God. Wait, you want me to tell you more about it? Okay. Well, so uh, if you want to give a great presentation, most of them are, are terrible. Most presentations you're going to see are terrible. This book is going to help you make an exceptional presentation from start to finish. He talks about how to, how to go into creating the presentation, how to make the stuff that you put on the screen interesting. He even goes into how to stand. He says, you know, just, there's a downside to standing with your, your arms at your hips like that because that's how we all got yelled at when we were a kid. He says, don't put your hands, you know, behind your back and kind of mope. You look mopey. Maybe, you, you know. You should not- always be eating an apple so you look casual. Walk out there with an apple. Mm-hmm. And have someone first you put on your head and say, Does anyone have a bow and arrow? But um bum no, seriously, folks. But he goes it worked, and- it worked for George Costanza, it worked for James Tiberius Kirk. <laughs> you get out there and when you nail the Kobayashi Maru, you take a giant bite out of that apple. Because <laughs> you just you just hack the room, my friend. That's number one. You're we're giving away too many of the secrets of the book, but here's uh, the thing. Here's the thing, Dan. If you're gonna write a book about presentations, you have to talk about things like slides. Slides. You really do. But you have to talk about the things about slides that people either don't know or have forgotten, which is that a slide is not your personal script for what you're going to say during the show. You and don't I, just I, talk, to the, talk to the slides? Talk to the slides. How's your deck? <laughs> Bring in your deck. Hey, do you have your deck? Did you put your deck on the key? Yeah, we're not going to do that. If you could go ahead and put that onto, the, onto a key, we'll get your deck into uh, We got a... We should mention we got a PowerPoint template where one everybody to use. I don't not even know which independent <laughs> film I'm in anymore. So, but the thing is, and I, I'm editorializing a little bit here, but uh, but but the thing about a presentation is like you get fixated on the slides because you've seen so many crappy pe- presentations with crummy slides and pre- presenters who don't know to do more than read from them. And and Dan, Dan, I may be shooting fish in a barrel here, but I think there's definitely a barrel and a lot of fish because there are people out there today who still. Have those crazy looking like five paragraphs. I, I, I mentioned this. Well, we'll get to this in a second. But I have been to so many presentations that felt with a good heart, right? Where somebody basically wrote a one to five page 
essay and then took the equivalent of scissors and cut them <laughs> into thirds of a page right. and then basically pasted that into a slide and then read it. That's kind of what people think. And I think what, what he gets at in this is, yes, the slides are important, but you know, like any good book on presentations, he is walking you through this from the perspective of somebody who needs to rethink why you're in the room and why those other people are in the room. And wonderfully for David, he does it in a very... Um, Apple and Mac context. It's for people who use Apples and Macs. And, you know, and, and one of the things I love about this book that makes me, you know, reading this is, it's not going to be like reading, you know, Remembrance of Things Past or something. You can get through this book pretty quickly and that's good. Like it's really, it's really beautifully laid out and simplified and like a presentation itself, some pages are just a page with some words on it, just a few words, like a slide. And I think it's very effective, a great use of the medium. And it's got lots of great multimedia included with it. A lot of it, and that's because it's all done in iBooks. I used iBooks author to do it. Uh, 44 screencast audio interviews, rich media, tons of really, really great stuff. Go check it out. MaxSparky.com, a good place to go, but MaxSparky.com slash presentations will take you right to this thing. So I just had, just had a phone call uh, with, uh, with David this morning about an NDA that, I'm, that uh, he said, don't sign it. Good. There's almost never, remember that people who like you to sign contracts are generally people who like to enforce contracts. That's Ooh, my experience. YOLO. That's what they call a way homer. Uh, <laughs> and and uh, he did, uh, finally on that point, to, to plug myself, I think, I think David claims this, I think I am the only person that has been, who has appeared via multimedia interview in all of the field guides. And this, in this one, we talked about my feeling that sometimes you got to throw your slides away. And go, you know, go commando. Do you ever use slides anymore these days? Or are you? Yeah, I'm working on two presentations right now that are going to have slides. And it's, it's, it's been a long time since I did a lot of speaking. And so it's kind of taking me a lot longer because I'm trying to rethink them from the ground up, you know? A bad habit I used to get into that I think a lot of people get into is you go, okay, here's this presentation I did that sucked less than usual. Now I should just beat the tar out of that by moving things around and inserting. And, and that gets crufty because again, now, even though you have started out not talking to the slides, you may now find that you're relying on them. And I think it's better to occasionally start from the ground up. Not always and not if you're on a crazy deadline, but I think that helps a lot. Um, you know, it seems funny. Like I feel so steeped in a culture of people who want to make a great presentation in their own way. Everybody's got their own metrics for what makes a great presentation or talk. Um, but I feel so steeped in that that it's, it's still jarring when I'm exposed to... People who should know better, um, just giving, you know, the text dense slides that you read off of with graphs that have like 12 point, you know, labels on the axes. And you're mm -hmm. like, I mean, even, even once I got glasses, I still can't, you still can't read that. Like what, what, you know, what, what should I take away from this? You know? Yeah. You could do a whole thing just on, on graphs and charts and like, you know, honestly, but cannily showing just the delta that you want people to notice and identifying that. Like you wouldn't want to like, you know, cheat on that. But for example, I have an app that tracks my weight. I get on the Withings scale every day. It tracks that. And I, I have it in the view where it's zoomed into the range that it fits in. So it looks much more dramatic. Because if I just looked at it as like the entire weight, like if it just said like, oh, you've gone between 298 and 340 pounds, like mm -hmm. that would not look as wouldn't tell as much as a moving average over time. I don't know why I'm saying this. Anyway, David Sparks, he does nice work with that. Nice He's work. getting quite, quite, a, quite a catalog now. Yeah, nice fella. The other thing is our friend uh, Brett Terpstra has uh, just released Marked 2. Yeah, that's big, isn't it? 
It's pretty big. It's pretty big. Uh, pretty darn big. And you know, I'm a little confused because uh, I'm going to be that guy from the prompt for a minute. I've been on the beta for a really long time, so I'm not even sure what's new anymore. But I will tell you that one of the big things is you can get it now. You can get it on the App Store, or you can get it directly from his site. Mm-hmm. I don't know how. I can't even imagine the Marvel multiverse where he was able to get these features into an app store release. Cause you know, the short version is that when you're writing Markdown, part of what makes Markdown great, part of the reason John create John Gruber created Markdown was that yes, it should be easy to write, but also it should be easy to read. It should remove a lot of the unnecessary cruft that HTML uh, introduces by making it very easy to read. And if you're smart about how you organize it, it's great. But then sometimes you want to see what it really looks like. And most Markdown editors include a preview, and most of them are pretty good. And there are certainly tons of apps that let you write and ostensibly preview in the app. Yeah. But Marked uh, 2, Marked in general, and Marked 2 in particular, adds so many features to this. Um, the one thing that it does that I think is, you know, the most important thing is now you have one very powerful app for previewing from any text file. So whatever it is, like dot whatever, even, you know, obviously dot txt, dot md, uh, those preview fine, but also you can drop fountain on there, like dot, I think dot fountain, you can drop dot folding text, ft, dot ft files on there. As long as it's a plain text file, XML files, it'll read it in a, and present it in a sensible way. And the features are just crazy, because, so you can keep that open like in a side monitor or a side window, and it updates automatically. You can even drop an entire folder directory, as you say, of files onto Marked, and it will automatically update to whatever the most recently updated file was. So if you're working on a book or you're working on all these different files, it'll automatically update. It automatically takes you to the place on the page where the last edit was made. It's got great navigation, like a sort of VI-style navigation for moving through your preview page. So like GG takes you to the top, you know, uh, period and comma takes you through all the H's, all the headings. And, and, you know, there's so much to this, I can't say it all. But you know, then it's got tons of amazing features. If you're really trying to write and trying to improve the way you're write, writing, you can do things like have it watch for passive voice and have it highlight things that were written in passive voice. You can put in all of your terrible phrases that mm-hmm. you accidentally reuse all the time. It'll highlight those. Um, and then, you know, you can have it in the preview style that you like, uh, output it the way you want. And it's, it, you know, to me, it just shows there's less and less, unless the institution you work with requires you um, you know, on, on pain of uh, smackening to, to use Office, you know, you can do pretty much most of what you, you know, can't do macros, <laughs> can't do Office macros in it, but pretty much everything you need to do, you can do in this and it'll look great uh, and stylish and it's a wonderful app. And so we should tell people where to find that. That is a marked2app.com and it's in the show notes at 5x5.tv slash uh, B as in brothers, two as in the number, W as in women, slash one eight zero. One eight zero. Zed. Zed's dead, baby. <laughs> Zed's chopper. Two friends who came out with two great, great new things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Marked two. Yeah. I use a lot of stuff that people I, I know make. What font are you using right now in, uh, in your text editor? Um, let's you, see. I think, that, I think you were using that tall one with the number two in it, right? Yeah, I was, but like it's something got weird about it. So I use Inconsolata almost yes. everywhere. Yes. Have you updated your, uh, your fonts post on the Hive Logic? No, recently? no, I need to do that. Yeah, I'm not that. The, the, the changes I've made, I, I've, well, on the one hand, I've kind of mostly stuck with the same font mostly. Like I used to use, used to use M plus one 
which is really cool. That was the one I was thinking of. Yeah. yeah. Some people really don't like it, but I like, I'm not even a developer. I'm not a programmer, but I like stuff like the slash zeros and things like that. Um, unambiguous letters. Mm-hmm. I'm not, you know, super picky about it, but I do in Consolata 18 and it looks great. Do you do on light or dark background? Like in NV Alt, it's uh, just black uh, on a white background. And TextMate, I go back and forth, but most of the time in TextMate, I use, I'm still in TextMate 1. And yeah, I, I know use, you are. Um, what do I use? I use Twilight. I like Solarized. I like the way Solarized, Solarized looks, and it's really smart. But um, I, like, I, like, I got used to Twilight. It's very autumnal. Mm-hmm. I like You know what else we should mention that you, I think, would like? Let's 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 uh, plug one more good thing. Cool. Technical difficulties. Technical difficulties. Us. Gabe and Eric, and uh, they, they they have a visit this week from the guy who does show notes for the show, Potato Wire, who's a super cool, interesting guy. And uh, episode seventy-seven, learning Vim with Potato Wire, and. Uh, it's something I think all of us threaten to do a couple times a year. I, I want to learn life drawing and uh, and and VI. And I, I, I this one got me pretty close again. It's a uh, it's a great episode uh, with tons of like explaining why you would want to go through this, but then also stuff like I think when you showing people the stuff like like Mac Vim that there is stuff where you can still use your keyboard if you want to get started. I know that's considered like antithetical, mm-hmm. but you know, like with me, I've got so much stuff in TextMate. I just don't want to screw up by going somewhere else. It really feels like a curve, but he goes in and uh, shows you some good setup stuff too, some initial things. Uh, like he uses the solarized theme, but uh, you know, the nice thing about Vim or VI is like, it's not going anywhere. You know what I mean? In the sense that, like, it's not going to go away because somebody decides to become a monk or something. Right. VI yeah. is, 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 is long-lived. It's, I think, VI or Pico? I'm trying to remember the first, I think VI was the first one I ever had to use on I a Unix like yeah, I first used Pico uh, because VI seemed too intimidating and I didn't know what hitting the escape key that could be a good thing. And uh, and so then I switched to VI very shortly after. But yeah, I remember. And that. you did uh, a while back. You did a um, voiceover for a screencast uh, about VI. I did. I did do that. Yeah. So anyway, that's things that are happening this week in computers. Mm. I like that. Could be. You know what? We could do. We could do a little show segment. Dan, where, that was the original plan. Do you remember the original, the OG, the OP? Do you remember the original plan? No, I don't. I remember the original email. I know. You showed me that. That was sweet. Isn't that great? Um, yeah, it was a long time ago. And, and how on target we still are about all of those things. One thing we threw out after, I think, the first episode. was Oh, talking about comics. Yeah, we haven't done that. <laughs> my, my initial proposal was <laughs> that the first 66% of the show would be talking about Productivity, Barriers, Creativity, Dan and Merlin. And that the last third would be focused on some kind of a technical thing. Yeah. Tips, text files, markdown. And I think we we realized pretty early that like that was probably a little inorganic. By by episode seven, I think we'd found our format. Uh, You know, the jokes are funny, but we've had a lot of good episodes since then. You know, I actually, listening back as I do, there are very few shows that I do that I will listen to uh, more than one time after they're done. But there are a handful of shows that we've done that it's funny how, I don't know how to say this without it sounding weird, but as a listener of our own show, this show has really helped me a lot. (laughs) 
Isn't that weird? Because if, yeah. if you too. wait Me long too. enough and then you go back and you listen, it's almost like it wasn't you doing it. Yeah, I agree. And something I feel like I've said so many times that it sounds so trite and phony, but um, one of the reasons I enjoy doing this show is that it gives me a place to talk about something that's merely just bouncing around in my head. It helps me a lot to have a place to try and say it, even if it's not always in the most sensible way, even if I talk too fast. Like it helps me so much to be able to say that out loud. And it really points to one of the basic problems with the productivity racket. You know, um, you know, for example, like if you, if you want to be healthier and you'd like to get more exercise and lose weight and eat better, mm-hmm. um, there's an answer to that that's not that complicated, which is that whatever you eat, eat less stuff and move more. If you eat less, now I know there's a way more to that, like eat more good stuff. That would be awesome. But start like day one. If you eat less and move more, you will over time actually do a little bit better. You may not, you know, like there's an app my wife used a long time ago. I forget, what, is it, is it the, it's like the hacker diet, I guess. But it's this diet where basically all you do is each day you enter in like what you weigh and you just want to see that trend line just keep moving down. So if, you, if your weight went up instead of down, you need to eat less and exercise more today. That's really, I mean, I know there's more to it than that, but there doesn't have to be more to it than that. If there is more to it than that, but it does not include eating less and exercising more, I've been on diets where I ate a lot less, but I didn't have the energy to exercise more. Right. And then people think, well, if I move around and I try and get my 10,000 steps every day, well, gosh, that's going to make me hungry. Well, that's, you know, the thing is you're moving. Your body is designed to move. And I think we all kind of know that that's the route, that's the first step on a route to being healthier with your diet and exercise. It's, it's, it's that simple. But <laughs> everybody's known that for a really long time, but we still forget it every day. You got to be reminded every day that that's, that's the path. Something comes along and there's this new bright, shiny thing that seems like the answer, seems like the deus ex machina for your gut. But the real answer is, the ugly, annoying answer is you've got to eat a little better and less and you got to walk a little more. So that's kind of like what the show feels like. So it's really funny to go back and hear an episode that's, you know, three or more years old and hear me saying, you know, you really got to eat less and exercise more. And go, you know what? That's pretty smart. I should do that. Yeah. You know, yeah. I used to I used to describe myself as feeling kind of like the the guy running the AA meeting. Like I'm up there with sweaty palms, like gripping the lectern because mm. I need that meeting just as much as everybody who's there to learn oh, yeah. something. Yeah. So anyway, congratulations to me. Um, <laughs> oh, I'm such a special little guy. Uh, you know, the other thing I hear about, we should probably put these in notes. I still hear uh, every once in a while from people who still go back and like enjoy um the gtd series that we did a oh while back. yeah yeah that's that's one that i myself have listened to repeatedly uh with a different with not, not that they weren't entertaining but not with entertainment in mind but because i actually want to get better at that and i probably listened to those episodes all the collection of them two or three times and it's not the most succinct summary of gtd but i i, I hope it gets some of the it's a real world exploration well, yeah, and it's, you know, like for me, like again, back to, it's almost like the the health and, and weight thing where it's like, you know, there's all this stuff that we know we should do. The problem is sometimes our brain needs a reframe of something in order for it to make sense because we're all smart, right? But even smart people sometimes need a reframe of something that helps you see it in the right context. So me saying something like, well, you know, you shouldn't overcommit. Oh, I know that. Well, then, you know, but would you accept a hundred 
uh, invitations to the same, to different parties on the same night. Mm -hmm. Like, no, you wouldn't. Well, that's the kind of thing where like, that might be the thing that makes your brain crack open a little bit and go, oh, I see. I've kind of been doing that. When I kind of look at my email all day long without doing anything with it, that's not really super productive. Um, Yeah. So that's a good show. People should listen to it. You want to talk about that, uh, that uh, article? That article? Yeah, may open yeah. that up. Yeah, we could. I mean, we could. Yeah, no, I think it's good. Oh, you know, did you want to talk about something else that you like? Yes, yes. You know what? Mm. I'm going to tell you about MailChimp. Oh, nice. They're nice guys over there, MailChimp. They're hiring, apparently. They're great too. guys. They sent, they sent me a giant comic book. Yeah, oh, uh, the one with the monkeys in it. My daughter looks at it. There's no other marketing related materials that my daughter pulls off a shelf and looks at on a regular basis. They're just going to have to run with that. <laughs> yeah. Just an idea, man. Uh, well, these guys are good at helping people with ideas because they make it possible for you to uh, send newsletters very, very easily. They help you design them, share them on social networks, integrate with the services you already use. And uh, one of the most important things is they let you track your results, mostly in real time. So when you send out a newsletter campaign, which they call it, you have a list, which has the, the names and email addresses of all the people who've signed up. And then you have a campaign, which is the thing that you're sending to those people. You get these really, really detailed and really accurate and really, really amazing results that you can, you can actually see. Did these people open the email? When did they open it? Did they click any of the links? You know, all of these things are really important. I was talking to Dave Pell, who does the uh, the Next Draft newsletter, which I, I get every day. I love that. And I was talking to him about it, and he's like, oh, yeah, I really – I said, do you look at the stats? He's like, oh, yeah. He's like, I look, I want to see if people are following the links or if they're just <laughs> – You can tell Dave looks at the stats. Oh, yeah, you just know <laughs> that about him. And he does, but he really does. He looks at the stats, and he knows – what percentage of people are clicking on links. But think about how useful this is, that kind of data, how useful that is if you're doing this for your company or if you're in the, you know, uh, you have a marketing job at your company and you're writing a newsletter, you really want to find out what kind of stories people want and what better way can you find out what, you know, what they want to click on or what they're interested in by seeing if they clicked on it or not. Like that seems obvious. Well, all of this uh, is is collected by MailChimp and, and shown to you so that you can see if that newsletter you're sending out, is it effective? Is that promotion you wanted to run? Do people care about it? You know, anyway, it, it's it's great. And, uh, and, and there's so many really great newsletters and there's something personal about a newsletter. I think in the same way that a podcast kind of feels personal, a newsletter also feels personal, different from a blog post in so many ways. And, uh, and these guys just make it easy to do and they make it so that your, your newsletter is going to look great in every browser, on every phone and every email client. And, uh, and you can go check these guys out. They have uh, this thing called the entrepreneur plan. If you have under 2000 subscribers, you can send 12,000 emails per month forever for free. URL to use MailChimp.com slash 5 by 5 Thank you very much to MailChimp for supporting Back to Work with Merlin Mann. Dan Benjamin, can I mention two fast things about them? Yeah, go ahead, Colin. Thank you. Uh, first time chipper. The uh, <clears throat> one thing that's, that's great about them, and uh, they didn't tell us to say this, but having done MailChimp newsletters, one of the things that's really striking about using their app, well, first of all, their app is amazing to use. I mean, it's got its own HTML editor. It's just beautiful. Um, but you can tell 
I think a lot of this is probably for legal reasons, but also just for their own like woofy reasons. Like they don't let you just send a bunch of junk to people. Like you have to abide. Yes. Right? This is yes. not numb. This is bowling. And there are, there are certain rules that must be followed. So, you know, when you hear something like sending all these thousands of emails, we're not talking about someplace that cranks out a bunch of junk. They are really, they have a, I think a team of people. Um, I couldn't say, but I'm pretty sure they watch that stuff really carefully and are looking for people who might be abusing it. And I think that's, I think it's amazing. I, they're, they're really good at that. The other They'll thing I want to mention- you. They will, they will warn you if too many people are unsubscribing or, you know, because that's an indication that maybe they didn't subscribe legitimately in the first place. I mean, they're very, they, they police this in a way that you would want them to police it. Yeah, they're not just, they're not just falling into some kind of safe harbor thing of going like, oh, we didn't send- that somebody else did. <laughs> right. They uh, they stuff like they'll say like, hey, you got to put your address in here, like an actual address where people can reach you and stuff yeah. like that. They're really good about that. The they other actually thing is, will come by. They come by every day to check that you're still there. Chimpy McChimpington, uh, Freddy, <laughs> Freddy Chimp, 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 Freddy, comes yeah, over. Freddy, Freddy, they call him. Freddy. Yeah. He's got those Wolverine hands. <laughs> the uh, the uh, the other thing is we. Uh, I don't think we announced this because I don't know. I don't think we get paid for it. But we have a back to work email newsletter that we will do. every week send you out the uh, the show notes for our episode and you'll arrive in your inbox. So even if you're not listening to every episode, uh, which you probably shouldn't be, or you may not have time to do, you can at least check in and go like, why why is there a picture of a cat there? Who is that man? Who is that? <laughs> <laughs> but you know, we're tickling your wonder bone. So you can go to uh, 5x5.tv slash B2W and sign up for that there. Ooh, talk about content free. My goodness. Mm. Yeah, tell me about that article you like. Well, I, I'm not sure that I do like it. Um, hold on. I'm, I, now I've got to... I'm going to get this ready. Hold on. Okay. Uh, oh, and by the way, I have, I'm putting the link to... Okay, if you go to 5x5.tv slash B2W, you will see the link that says subscribe to the Back to Work newsletter, but I'm putting it into our show notes just for this As episode. long as we're promoting ourselves, also, I see people, it's like every week somebody is born who's never heard After Dark. People hear the phrase After Dark, and because we don't promote it, they may not know oh. that sometimes... People shuck and jive after the five by five shows and that goes up. If you're interested in getting that, there is a link to the feed on the back to work page where you can get both the canonical episodes and the uh, after darks in your feed reader pod catchman. I'm looking for the link to the article, but basically, it, oh, you put it in there. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm going. There now. Last week's pretty good. Yeah, it was good. All right, there it is. So, hi, hey, this is Dave Davies, <laughs> in for Terry Gross, and for Dave Davies. Terry Gross is away for the next ten years. Hi, I'm Dave Davies. The human mind is composed of mind pieces, organic wonder Legos of snap together block brain functionality. Turns out. We use way more than 10% of our brain, but not in the way that you would think. <laughs> so this article, uh, we, can't, we can't say the S word on, on this show. because Family we want, show. It's a family show that we want kids to listen to because it's mostly <laughs> about comics. Uh, but uh, this, is, this is an article on a site called... Uh, can you well, say the C-R-A-P instead of... I'll say crap. 
instead of the or S hoot. word. You could say hoot. You could say hoot. Well, I already said crap. No, don't get. Oh, dear. Don't give a hoot. Nah, go with crap. <laughs> the elegant art of not giving a hoot. This is an article on raptitude.com, getting better at being human. And a couple people I saw on Twitter linked to this this morning. I saw that in my feed. And uh, I don't know uh, who Krishnamurti is. Do you know who Krishnamurti is? Uh, no, I'm going to guess he's Krishna related. An Indian spiritual leader. His spiritual philosophy is based on a rejection of organized organized religion and the attainment of self-realization by introspection. Anyway, Krishna Murti Krishnamurti is the, the setup for this anecdote. During a very famous moment, Krishnamurti asked the audience if they wanted to know his secret. The lecture hall went silent and everyone leaned forward. And then he is misquoted by this person who's writing this article as saying, you see, he said, I don't give a hoot. And then the person, that's in quotes, set, set off by itself, in quotes as if he actually said that. But then the next paragraph of, of the person, David, uh, who is writing this, says, I'm paraphrasing. By most accounts, he said, you see, I don't mind what happens. But he could have easily said either. And not giving a hoot is a concept more people can identify with. I apologize for the vulgarity of the phrase. I will use it a lot in this article, but nothing else captures this piece of wisdom quite as well. And my response to that is false. Um, That is uh, absolutely not the same thing at all. Not giving a crap or a hoot or whatever is completely different in every single possible way from not minding what happens, which is very much uh, uh, relates to Buddhist philosophies. This this guy writes a neat piece that has great advice in it talking about something completely different. If he had just left out the quote uh, from Krishnamurti completely and said, here's a neat philosophy. Don't give a hoot. Here's why it works. He would have had an excellent piece, which is uh, otherwise flawed by trying to connect it to a misquoted paraphrase that has different meaning. I totally agree. I think there's one surprising reason why he used that phrase. One? What what is the reason? You're not going to believe what happens next. (laughs) This guy chose to misquote somebody, but not for the reason you think. Mm. This will change everything you think about hoots. <laughs> I agree because saying I don't give a S word uh-huh. is uh, I think that has a pretty specific connotation because I think it has a built in and we're, we're missing the nut of what this guy's saying, which is actually, you know, pretty good. It is good. What he's saying it's a little, is you know, good. It's a good kind of, you know what? It's good. It's good. What he's saying is good. Uh so anyway, then he once he gets past his 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 reason for the link bait, he gets down into saying that that you know you could just say I don't mind what happens, but you're really saying I don't. So what he's saying is, I think to summarize is that there's a whole bunch of stuff that happens in the world, and thinking and worrying about it shouldn't be top of mind unless it's helping you to make a decision about what to do. Right. Kind of. Yeah, unless, no, it, I, unless it's yeah. fuel, unless it's fuel for helping you make a decision. And maybe I'm probably really already jamming this into my own thought technologies, but that you're not, you know, to, to sit and ruminate over something. And, and I think it, it, he talks a lot about getting yelled at on the road. I think he mentions that in this article. But if somebody yells at you on the road, this is a great example. And you're, he's jogging. Somebody yells at him. This happens several times on his blog. Uh, does he want to get mad about that? 
And think about that. Like, how, like he says in maybe in another article, like how many times has there been this thing that happened to you for 20 seconds, you know, when you were a kid that you're still replaying scheming? And replaying yeah, and replaying and retelling. Second arrow, right? Second arrow, precisely. And so I, I think what he's saying there is very sensible. He says, well, you know, actually when those, uh, the dinguses in the truck drove away, I decided not to cling to that. He didn't say this is my words, but you know, but then he realized, oh, they're gone. It's done. Everything's gone back to normal. The pond has gone back to being smooth. And now I, I would just have to be the one who keeps being stirred up about that if I choose to be. So, I, yeah, I agree with you. I think saying I don't give a hoot uh, with a different word. That almost has uh, – it has an, an – uh, to me, to me, when I – and I would I, – all, all of the uh, adults, 18 and up, in the audience should now say, uh, substituting the S word for the hoot word, I don't give a hoot. Say it out loud if you can. That has a very different, almost aggressive, perhaps angry vibe to it. For me, if I were to say it out loud. If D- somebody- Dan, ask me, ask me who the opening pitcher for the Yankees is tonight. Oh, who's the opening pitcher for the Yankees tonight? I don't give a shit. Right. You don't. You bleep that. I will bleep it. Okay. Now, that to me is precisely the meaning of what that phrase it is. It almost means don't bother me with that get away but it's, from it's also a way of like forming your personality by saying that is that is not like that that's so not in my worldview right you know, and I, I can say i wouldn't say that because that's not really the way i talk um but but you know to me that, that that's that's the way to use that phrase is like did you did you hear what this total nut job uh excuse for a professional wrestler said on fox news that everybody's <laughs> mad about yeah i don't give a hoot You're right because I don't follow pro wrestling and I don't quote what people on TV say. And so uh, that's just not a thing for me. And, and so, you know, I think there are lots of ways to do it. But I, I think it is actually very different in tone because it's more a way of saying like, no, I'm actively like rejecting this. You know, you're more right. like that. I, I don't own a TV kind of guy. You know what? You just put a, a, a very good point on it, perhaps unintentionally, is action, ver- active versus passive. I don't give a hoot is active, not minding is almost, almost to me, not noticing in a way that feels very, in a positive way, very harmless. You're, you, there's yeah. nothing aggressive or antagonistic. There's no action happening. There is the lack of action. But not caring in, in that way has this sort of weird negative connotation, although I think it's more accessible to people. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. I mean, in, there's, I told you this phrase there's several phrases like this that go through my mind because I talk to myself. Um, and one of the phrases that I, I try to kind of keep in mind sometimes is, as I say, there's things like that's not for me. Like mm-hmm. that's not my kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that. And that all that means is that's me going like, hmm, okay, maybe I'll look at that again later, but that's yeah, not really my thing right now. But another one is um, stupid can't stick to me. So like whatever <laughs> it is that's out there that's stupid it's, it's really up to me to don the Velcro suit and press it, cleave it firmly to my chest and then walk around with that stupid thing on it. That's up to me. When you go around and keep requoting something stupid that somebody said, you're really just doing the PR and carrying the freight for those guys, I think. And so, I mean, imagine, so if you want a mental model for this, imagine you're standing at a bus stop and somebody walks up to you looking really, really mad and holding a wiffle ball in a really violent, angry way. Mm-hmm. And you stand there like, Mm-hmm. Okay. And then they whip a wiffle ball at your chest and it goes, dook, punk, and it falls on the ground. 
you're not really that injured. Like, that's super weird. You got a good story for Twitter or whatever. But, like, that's kind of what life is a lot of the time. It's like, it's a wiffle ball that you barely felt that fell to the ground. And it's really up to you to start collecting all of those wiffle balls and deciding what it says about you and the world. That's what I get out of this, this basic thing. It's, you know, it's one of those things that when you break it down, when you analyze it, it seems so simple and so obvious. But it's not that simple and obvious. Everybody's mad about everything all the time. Everybody's walking around, you know, wearing their wounds like a Girl Scout badge. And, and that's... <laughs> <laughs> not ultimately that productive. You're just rehearsing. You're re-rehearsing these things. You're playing these tapes over and over in your head about all these things that went wrong. I, th- I think. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's kind of unfair. I don't mean to, like, go pick on this guy, but I think he's actually saying some pretty good stuff here. He it's is very a, he related is. to cognitive behavioral therapy. It's very related to mindfulness. It's basically just this idea that, like, it is up to me uh, to make the synaptic lap between events that I have no control over in the world and then how I feel about it. But there is very little that will infuriate other people, uh, even if you express it in the absolutely most genuine, nicest, kindest way possible, as telling somebody else that you don't really have an opinion or don't care, if you will, ab- about making a decision. For example, there are several people there and they're like, where would you like to go to lunch? And you say, well, I don't, I, I'm happy to go anywhere. Doesn't, you know, I can, I can go anywhere that you guys want to go. <laughs> I think that's a bad example. It's a good, I, well, well that, that particular one I think is a bad example because I have a pet peeve about people who don't actually tell you what they want. Right, but what if you really don't have a preference? What if you really, truly don't and What if almost, the guy, okay, what if somebody comes into the office? Maybe it's a bad example, but. No, 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 but what if somebody comes in with like Yankee pinstripe face paint? And they're like, like, who, which Yankees do you want to be on the all-star sports ball team? <laughs> right. And you say, honestly, I don't really have an opinion. You know, you could say, I don't care. Yeah. But that's, that's kind of aggressive. Yeah. But even saying, like, I don't have an opinion, it seems so weird. And, you know, there's that old line that I've used a hundred times on here where I, there's somebody says something. Hey, will you, why don't, here's my favorite is, why don't you do X? And I'm like, well, why don't I do X? And they go, yeah, explain to me why you don't do X. And my response, most of the time, as you know, well, why am I not a potted fern? <laughs> How could I possibly explain something that I don't do, especially yeah. on Twitter? But that's the thing is like, if you feel really passionately about something, and especially, you know, I feel like I'm falling into my usual cliche here about how I don't like internet lynch mobs, but that's the kind of thing is like people, if you don't have like a really loud opinion about politics or a loud opinion about sports or a loud opinion about content management systems, like it feels aggressive to people. Like you're like, you're like almost as though (laughs) you were saying what they're way too frustrated about is not valuable. That's how it reads sometimes. Like you're expected, you're expected to get in fights in bars about what people said on TV about politics. That's a thing you're supposed to do. Yeah, it infuriates people who have an opinion if you don't have an opinion about the thing that they're thinking about. And, you know, and even if I do have an opinion, I, I, it sounds passive-aggressive or something, but I, I, when I say, sorry, I don't argue on the internet, which is, you know, obviously kind of a, it's become a joke. But the truth is, like, tell me how this turns out great. Tell me how, like, you, somebody that I don't know, and I, somebody you don't really know, like, how does this turn out great? if we act out some kind of big drama about this thing because you feel intensely about it. I just, you know, actually in another one of his posts, because sometimes in the morning I'll sit and I'll read a lot of something. You know, another of his posts he was talking about, I thought very intelligently, I can't find the post right this second, but you know, why it is he doesn't like to follow uh, agents of change. (laughs) 
on social media. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, And people who are always yelling at everybody about what they're supposed to do. Because I think he nails it, though, in saying like there, there's a certain kind of, what was the word he used? Not judgment, but there's a certain kind of like, there is like a mob mentality of like, you need to be on the right side of history about this thing. Oh, like yeah. if you don't turn in your pink yogurt lids, lids you are literally, literally killing people. <laughs> like if you don't, if you don't, you know, <laughs> whatever that is, yeah. you know, and I, I don't know. There's I, an I, interesting part, though, about I think when you become a parent, because there's so many things. I, first of all, I love my kids and everything they do is full of goodness and light and, and important. Also, before I've had <laughs> coffee, you know, it. I don't care if, you know, the the character in the TV show that he's watching it, what they just did. I just don't I don't care about it. I don't care if the character did something funny or not. Maybe after I've had coffee, I can pretend to care. But early in the morning, I don't care that much about what happens on TV on the, on the show they're watching. But you Hot have coffee to, is your care juice. You have you have to pretend. You have to pretend to care because if you don't, then the child will uh, will you know will go through these same emotions that these grown adults are going through on these social media, which is to say, how can you not care about that? It's important to me. Isn't what's important to me important to you? And as an adult to another adult, I can say, well, no, I'm not interested in this topic, but I'm glad for you that it's interesting to you. I'm glad for you that you're interested in talking about it. For your kid, you have to say, oh, man. Hold on, let me get the, the mug here. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, that wow, I can't believe you did that. Hold on, I can't hear you over the brewing. You know, it's you know, it that's it's a different thing when it's 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 a loved one. But generally speaking, you know, we may say we do, but we don't really love all of the unnamed people who who are replying to our Facebook posts, you know. Or even just in an airport lounge or yeah. waiting in line yeah. somewhere. Like you there's a certain kind Maybe of, we should love them. I don't know. Well, I, I wouldn't I mean I'm I didn't mean to pivot to we don't love people. I just mean <laughs> that like there's a lot of people we have to have to interact with. And I think there's a certain kind of jostling. Uh, you know, we've joked before that if you ever want one topic that everybody can agree on in America, if you can't find anything else, you can't talk about politics, you can't talk about sports or vaccines, talk about customer service. Because, uh, you know, in, uh-huh. in life, <laughs> like everybody's got a customer service horror story. Oh, yeah. And there's nothing more sympathetic to most of us today than going like, oh, I, I, I totally, I've had that same experience. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody's, everybody's had that. It's just, it's funny. I mean, like we're, we've got this point of view that we're putting out very, um, that we're advocating for here that is basically very inert. It's, we're advocating for inert things, which is kind of weird, but, um, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's just, it's, I almost feel like it's a, sometimes feels like a version of that question, you know, yes or no, have you stopped beating your wife? We're like, well, no, I don't even agree to the conditions of your question. You right, know, right. Like you, you don't, you don't get to decide the rules for every conversation. <laughs> oh, and in the after dark, if you have time, I want to tell you a, a story and ask what you would have done in this situation. But it's not relevant. It's not. It's relevant enough, but not relevant enough to, for the show. Okay, and I, I think I think you know. So go read this article. It's good. Um, go and read about cognitive behavioral therapy. Go and read about mindfulness. These are good things because you know. I, I I think the take takeaway message is is very plain and very and yet kind of strangely powerful, which is that like. Uh, <laughs> there's an episode of Roderick on the line. I don't think we're going to put it out just because we've got better ones we can put out. But uh, I was trying to, like, John and I always kind of go at it a little bit whenever Buddhism comes up. Because in my opinion, John kind of makes a straw man out of it and says, oh, it's all about, you know, sitting and trying to become, 
you know, transcendent and enlightened. And, and I, you know, and maybe this is just because what, this is what's on my mind right now. But like, if I tried to distill a lot of these things into an idea that you can use that's sensible, it's this, which is, and this is the second arrow, but there's stuff that happens in the world. There's stuff we cause to happen. Mm -hmm. There's also stuff that just happens. There's just stuff. There's stuff that happens in the world. Waving our arms around will not make all that many things change. But whatever it is that happens, whether you get cut off in traffic, whether you like forgot to send an email and now you feel like a tool, like whatever it is, there are two fairly distinct things that can happen. That, that, well, that will happen. First of all, there's a thing that happened in the world. And, and you know, by and large, most of those things, there, there may be shades of William Faulkner and it's hard to know exactly what happened. But by and large, there are events that happen in the world. Uh, this, this uh, somebody, I went to pick my kid up at the playground and someone hit me with a hula hoop. That happened. Mm -hmm. But, <laughs> and I almost caught it, but I was carrying some stuff. <laughs> and so it hit me in the face a little bit. Oh. And, uh, and <laughs> not simply because I have a sense of humor about myself, but because I know kids throw hula hoops. It's a thing that happened. But here's the thing. I mean, there's, there's, it's one thing to get hit with a hula hoop. Mm -hmm. And then it's another thing to decide what that means about the world, what that means about you and it's another thing to decide how you are going to feel about that and how long you're going to carry around having been hit with a hula hoop as, as a like milestone event in your day. Right. Could be funny. Could be great. Could, could be, could be whatever. But what I'm trying to say is this is the first, the first arrow is stuff that happens in the world. And the second arrow is how you feel about your relationship with that event. Yeah. And years, decades after something happened in the world, you might still be carrying around that feeling that your relationship with that continues to grow and flourish, right? Like, like years after, I, I, you know, I, I remember seeing a dog get hit by a car uh, when I was in, like a junior in high school. And it really, and it was not quite dead on the road. And my friends and I had to deal with it. And it was one of those experiences that was just wrenching for me. And I couldn't stop thinking about it. Yeah. For, for, for weeks and months. And even now, it's, I just have this image in my mind of the headlights on this family pet in the road that it still hurts my heart to think about it. Mm. That happened in like 1984. Wow. And the whole thing, all told, maybe took 15 minutes, 20 minutes. But that still looms large in my head because I still have a relationship with that event. That's mm -hmm. what makes us human. This is what makes us different from those fornicating bonobos is we can turn these things around in our mind. But also remember that like when that wiffle ball gets thrown at you, when that hula hoop gets thrown at you, when any of those things happen, you do have the option to take a second. And like I like to think of it as like you're almost like passing it from hand to hand and you're thinking about what just happened. And one of the things you can decide to do is just let it drop to the ground. Not throw it to the ground, not throw it, not throw the hula hoop back at the kid. Just let it drop to the ground and smile and move on to the next thing. Because like that, that relationship could endure forever. And if you get enough of those relationships that accumulate over time, you have a lot of really unhappy house guests residing in your head. Mm. And, and I think those, you will keep having those conversations with people at the DMV. You will keep being mad at yourself for not sending that email. I think that's, that's the message of something like this that's valuable. It isn't about whether you do or don't give a hoot. It's about how much of the world you decide to not just let stick to you, but to like duct tape to you because it's part of who you are now. And like, this is my thing. It happened to me and I'm still kind of mad about it. Like that's always an option to just let that thing go. And it, and it makes you a lighter person, I think. I think, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't make you not care. It just means that, like, just because something happened in the world doesn't mean it has to be part of me now. That's, like, entirely up to me. I get to pick the stuff that, that gets to be part of me. I love that. You do? I do. Hmm. 
Easier, easier said than done sometimes. I also got a picture of a cat in a hammock. Bugs me. The way that, that it's just sitting there like that? It's just sitting there. Mm. You know, it's a great site. Uh, it's a Tumblr site called Put You in a Better Mood. I have exactly one cute animal site that I look at. It's called Put You in a Better Mood. Every day after school, because I'm a great father, my daughter and I sit and we look at everything that has happened on Put You in a Better Mood. And that might be uh, like, uh, it might just be uh, six Sharpays. Uh, sleeping on each other, mm-hmm. you know, it might be it might be someone holding a baby bunny. It, it might be a cat that falls off of something. I'm gonna let that stick to me. I'm gonna duct tape yeah. a cat to me, literally. Yeah, yeah. Did you have anything else you want to tell me about? Mm, uh, just this thing for the after dark, but yeah, it's too long. Is there anything else we can say to help people? We should. We should. Do you think we're mean to that guy in his article? No, because we gave him credit for writing a good article. But uh, I feel like you know. It's like back in, in, you know, when you when you had to have like four sources for the paper you were writing and you just sort of, you know, you couldn't get that last fourth one. So you just sort of randomly picked a book as you were on your way out of the of the college library and found a way to tie it in. And if your teacher was smart enough, uh, she would uh, mark you points off for saying that that didn't really relate. And you only had three sources and, you, you know, you don't get full credit or something. It's kind of like that. He was trying I think it's. I think he was uh, using the one surprising reason, which is that yeah. having that as the title and in the slug for it makes it, you know, more noticeable. Yeah. If he's, you know, if he said, you know, it's it's, up it to grabs you. you more as a title. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But you don't think we're too mean, right? No, not anymore. Yeah. See, <sighs> so I'm gonna think about that all day now. <laughs> okay, let's button this up. <laughs> I love you, Merlin, man. Uh, hmm? Oh, <laughs> I love you too, Dan Benjamin. <laughs>